<laughs> oh, my. Well, thank you. You're very kind. Thank you. I love you. I love all of you. And I hate to preach what I'm preaching on now. <laughs> well, you're very kind. That was worth a million, million dollars to me. Thank you so much. I debated on whether or not to tell you this. Not everybody is as kind as you. I volunteered to be, on, to be a, a gopher for cruising the coast. We, we handed out many, many Bibles yesterday. Those of you involved in that Bible ministry of Scripture distribution for cruising the coast, uh, thank you for that. I was out and about on the streets, and I got up at 2.30 Thursday morning and got out here and met my good friend Bobby Cox, our alderman at large. And Bobby and I, if you know Bobby, you know he's a wonderful man. And we started uh, riding the roads, making sure everybody's lined up, putting barricades up. If you're mad about uh, who barricaded the roads up, that was me under the instruction of Bobby Cox. But uh, we were out early, and we got to, uh, those cars start lining up at midnight to be first in line. And so we stopped, the ladies flagged us down and stopped us, and I mean, it's probably 4.30, 5 in the morning, and she said, uh, is Tata Nut open? I want, I want some Tata Nuts and coffee. And I said, well, I tell you what, we'll run back around, and we'll get some coffee for you and Tata Nut if we can. Went by and giving out coffee to that lady and her crew. And like I say, not everybody as kind as you. And she said, well, tell me about who are, who are y'all? And I said, well, this is uh, Bobby Cox. He's the local barber. And I'm the local pastor. And she said, well, brother pastor, he does a wonderful job on his own hair, but not much for you. And you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd have said, next time you get Krispy Kreme. <laughs> but thank you for that. That's very nice, kind of you to give me that more than what I deserve. But you are a blessing to me. Thank you. Tracy and I uh, were talking to a group of people yesterday lined up with their old trucks, and, and they have a, a son that is a pastor in, in Tennessee. And we were talking to them, and she was talking about how hard it is as a mama to have a pastor that's a son. And uh, we were able to encourage them, and I told her, I said, ma'am, I just hope and pray your son has a church that is as gracious and as good and as tolerant and merciful as mine. And she said, well, I hope so too. So God bless you. Thank you for so much. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to one of the darkest chapters in all of the Bible. A place I don't want to go to, but ethically, if we're going to expound the Scriptures, we, we have to deal with this. And the sad thing is, it has much relevance to today, to America today. And um, Tracy and I, or I really struggled with, with this um, for for weeks uh, on how to present it, and then after how to present it, what to call it, what title to put on it. 
I almost left it no title all and just said 2 Samuel 13. And then I thought about putting the title up that says, that said, I have no clue what to call this. But I didn't want to be sensational. But the wonderful pastor's wife that certainly was part of that standing ovation, she said, you got to have a title. And she started coming up with titles. And eventually, we both agreed on the title, Abdication and Absence. Abdication, because you're going to see where David abdicated his kingly authority. And you're going to see where David was absent as a father. And it is all part of these consequences that David is having to deal with and live with because of his sin. His children are going to act out in accordance to their own will. What they do, you cannot blame David all the way. Don't don't take credit for when your kids turn out good. Be thankful to the Lord. And don't take the blame for when they turn out bad because they've got a will of their own. Now you influence them. There's no doubt. They, they learn from you. There's no doubt. And I pray that we all, including myself, make it so that when, when, when they get into sin, it's contrary to what I've shown them and taught them. And they had to resist it all. They had to resist that conscience that we formed in them all the way. And so, so be careful about blaming David, but yet... There is this consequence of his influence that we're going to see in this terrible, dark chapter. This is a horrid chapter. We're going to read about some evil men in the days ahead. And um, one question that arises is, where is God in all of this? Where is the Lord in all of this? That is a good question. And I'm going to show you at the end of our message in about an hour and a half. No, I'll show you. But I will also say to you this, that when David sinned, the floodgates of blasphemy were opened. And the enemies of God were blaspheming because of David's sin. God was seen now as somebody who did not have much power in David's life. This man after God's own heart. This sweet, sweet singer of Israel. Well, look at David. Yeah, oh, he, write, he, he writes some neat psalms. And, and he can pull at the heartstrings. And he's God's chosen king. But, but look at him. He's an adulterer and a murderer. And so these consequences that David is facing... God's in them, restoring His name, saying to the blasphemers, Oh no, oh no, my children do not get away with sin. I am not some grandfatherly God up here who's indulgent. Oh no, if my children sin, they meet my chastisement. And I forgive them and give them grace, but my mercy may be slow. And so keep that in mind as we read through this chapter. And so 
Let us begin. Chapter 13, verse 1. And it came to pass after this. After what? After David's great sin of adultery and murder? Sure. Um, After all that accompanied his sin and how he harbored it in his heart for one year and sought to hide it for one year? Yes. After Nathan came and rebuked him and said, Thou art the man, and David confessed his sin and said, I have sinned against the Lord. And after Nathan said, God has forgiven you, you shall not die. God will be gracious. Yes. After the guilt of that sin is gone, in God's estimation, yes. Yes. After he has written Psalm 51 and and confessed that, gave us that great psalm of confession, and David is right with the Lord, yes. After that, those things. And it came to pass after all of this, that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now you might recall, way back in chapter 3, that David began to take on one wife after another. And to these wives were born sons. Some of these sons were born while he was in Hebron reigning. And then some of these sons were born when he became king over all of Israel in Jerusalem. And so what we're dealing with are these first group, this first group of children right here. And he had this son by the name of Amnon. Amnon was his firstborn son. We're going to see a lot of him here in a little bit. His name is Amnon. His mother is a Jezreelitess from Jezreel, and her name is Ahinoham. After Amnon, there came a second son. How many of you remember the wonderful lady Nabal's wife by the name of Abigail? That's a great woman. That's my, that's my wife's favorite of David's wives. It's kind of strange to have you know, which one, of, which one of David's wives is your favorite? That's an odd question. But Abigail was the one who stopped him from doing something foolish. She was a very wise and noble woman. And with David, she had a son by the name of Chiliab. Chiliab's an interesting man. He's David's second born. Everybody said, oh, this young child isn't David's son. It's the son of Nabal. And so David named him Chiliab, which means looks like the father, and as if David was saying, just wait and see who he looks like, all right? Remember that? We preached on that. But Chiliab, apparently, we we gather from from the story that Chiliab, the second-born son, passed away at an early age and didn't grow up to even have a chance at assuming the throne of David. So you have Amnon, the firstborn, Chiliab, the second-born, who probably died when he was young, before all of this. And then the third 
son, a third child, the third son, heir to the throne, was a boy by the name of Absalom. His mother was uh, Mekah. Mekah was the daughter of Talmai. Talmai was the king of Geshur. Geshur was one of the Syrian cities. Now, you remember before time, they were enemies of Israel. But the Geshurites were Syrians, so to speak. And so this was a political marriage where David took on Mekah as his wife. And with Mekah, she had at least two children, Absalom, the third son of David, and a young girl named Tamar. Now, um, you have, this is important, you've got to get this down because when we get to chapter 15, this is important. Amnon is the heir to the throne. He's the firstborn son. Absalom, because the secondborn is gone, Absalom is the second in line. So remember that. And his sister, Absalom's full sister, is by the name of Tamar. Now the Bible says that Tamar was a fair young lady. We're going to see later in this book that Absalom was a good-looking man. I mean, they, 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 they were beautiful children. The, these two, uh, David's son born to this Syrian mother, they were beautiful children. I mean, physically beautiful. The Bible says fair, which implies a very attractive young lady. Absalom is going to be described as a handsome, handsome, handsome man, and he would let his hair grow and cut it once a year. And I'm going to tell you what the rabbis say about that hair, uh, but he would let it weigh, cut it once a year, and um, it would weigh between three and five pounds. He had a lot of hair. And so they were attractive young people. And that is going to go a long way with Absalom, as we will see. But Amnon, the oldest son, had an eye for Tamar. We read in this text. And he loved her. Now, we're going to see that his brand of love was certainly not God's brand of love, nor was it the love that it should have been of a young man to a young lady. We're going to see that it was not that type of love. But he was attracted to her, and he, he wanted her. And let's look at verse 2, or verse 3. Well, I'm sorry, look at verse 2. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Baar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So Amnon loved her, he wanted her, but he could not have her. First of all, it would have been incest, which was contrary to the law of Moses. It was contrary to the law of Moses. He could not do what he wanted to do with her. It was incest. And that would have been a penalty of death under the law. 
And he was so distressed and vexed in his desire for Tamar that he made himself sick. That's what the word vexed mean. So much so that he made himself sick over it. And he just, he, he was just totally, totally physically, emotionally, mentally affected because he could not have this beautiful young lady, his half-sister, Absalom's full sister, like he wanted. It was awful. But I want to show you something about Amnon. He would be what we call in today's society, today's culture, he was a sexual predator. That's what he was. He was a sexual predator. It is said of Saddam Hussein's sons that when they would go on a college campus in Iraq, that the young girls, the, 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 the students on the campus would try to avoid where they were, and they would escape through hallways or walk around trees and hide as best they could because if Saddam Hussein's sons were to see them and like them, they could take them, do what they will, and most of the time they disappeared, never to be seen, heard from again. That was Amnon. He was a sexual predator. Now, how do we know this? Well, if you read the rest of the story, as we are in a minute, when when this tragic event is said and done, Tamar goes not home to David, but she goes to her full brother's house, Absalom, and look at verse 20, when he sees her condition, we're going to describe in a minute, when he sees her condition, Absalom says, has Amnon been with you? When he saw her torn clothes and saw her devastation and how she was distraught, she needed not tell Absalom, Amnon has done this. Absalom said, has Amnon been with you? Amnon had a reputation. He was somebody that was a predator and everybody knew it. They knew it. This was Amnon. And so here is a predator, a sexual predator, the king's son, next in line to be king, who could take any woman he wanted, but he couldn't have Tamar. He had a bit of conscience within him. He had a bit of restraint within him, and he could not take her. There was this obstacle that God puts in front of us that prevents us from going beyond it into sin, and it is called God's law, God's word, and Absalom made himself sick because he couldn't have her. Well, then we see verse 3. This is probably a parent's 
most frightening verse in the Bible. But Amnon had a friend. I heard you groan, mom and dad. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. By the way, that word subtle is the same word used to describe Satan. Tricky, shifty, a subtle man. And he said unto Amnon, Why is the king's son lean from day to day? Why are you so sick? Will you not tell me? But Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. I can't have her. Jonadab knew that. I can't have her, but I love her. And Jonadab said, be careful of what these kind of people say. And Jonadab said, lay thee down in your bed. And make yourself sick. And when your father comes to see you. Who's that? David. When your father comes to see you. Say unto him. I pray thee. Let my sister Tamar come. And give me meat. And dress the meat in my sight. That I may see it. And eat it at her hand. This man Jonadab was Amnon's cousin. He was David's nephew. From David's brother. He is described as a very worldly wise subtle man. He devises a way. He is devious as we just read. He knew Amnon's reputation. And perhaps he even benefited from from it himself. But I want you to notice something about these kind of people. And young people this is why your parents and your grandparents, and even from time to time, your pastor. Now listen to me, you just stood up for me a while ago. Says, that is not the kind of person you need to have as your friend. Because they know something that you don't know. And Jonadab was one of those kind of people. So moms and dads, from now on, just look at them and say, they're a Jonadab, you're not going to their house. Amen. They're a Jonadab. We're not taking you to the movies with them. They're a Jonadab. The only place they can come is to church, and they're only going to ride in the car when I'm with them. Amen. Boy, isn't that, aren't you glad you came today? But Jonadab, notice what he did not say. He did not say, get your daddy over here, play like you're sick, and, oh, you know, I mean, Take some epicat and be throwing up or something. And let's deceive your dad. And you tell him, Dad, I'm so sick. I'm sick unto death. Let, let my sister Tamar come and, and feed me. The, the Hebrew word is cakes. And you know what's interesting about this? The Hebrew word indicates that they were heart-shaped cakes. Now, I don't know what that means, but make these little cakes, this meat. That's what the Hebrew word means. And 
and feed me at her hand. That's where Jonadab stopped. I'm telling you how devious this man is. That's where he stopped. He did not say, empty out the room, then grab her and rape her. Because if he had said that, Amnon could have said, Jonadab told me to do it. He influenced me. Jonadab set it up where he could please Amnon and get something out of it and be free and clear. Now, folks, we got a word for these kind of men. Right? I'm not going to say it. But whatever whatever synonym for evil you can think of, that's a good one. And he didn't say that. He phrased it in such a way that it, that it would not come back on him, that he could stand up in court and say, I am not complicit in that. I just told him to, to get his daddy over here and, and let Tamar feed him. That's all I suggested. Those kind of people are out there. Look at verse 6. So Amnon laid down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar my sister come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother at Amnon's house and dress him meat, cook for him. So Joab, Jonadab, or Amnon did exactly like Jonadab said to do. David fell for it. He was deceived. Now here's my issue. Did David not know Amnon's reputation? Absalom knew it. Surely, as open as David's court was, I mean, people could come to David's court and and make complaints. Surely, he had heard about his son Amnon taking daughters and, and, and treating women this way, this reputation that everybody else knew about. But David sent her anyway. Did, did, did he think? Did he think and say? Well, surely Amnon would not do anything to his half-sister. Surely Amnon is, is not as bad as all that. And I want to be honest with you. I don't have a clue what the man was thinking. This is so convoluted, I didn't even know what to title this till Friday. And it's been ready to go for three months. This is so dysfunctional. What in the world is going on here? Mom and dad, we have got to pray for discernment. And we've got to ask the Holy Spirit in terms of our children and guiding them and protecting them and making hard decisions for them and easy decisions for them. We have to ask for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to see before us. And David didn't do that. And David didn't have that discernment. And he fell for it. So while David was deceived, he did not discern the danger. Tamar was a beautiful young lady in every way. She was just obedient. She was a princess. She was a virgin. 
awaiting marriage. No doubt she had chaperones, as we'll see in a moment, that would accompany her. Maybe, maybe David thought that she would be safe or didn't think about it at all, which would be a tragedy. These days, you've got to think about it. And David was, was negligent here. But I want to show you something that if you have been through our ministry safe process here at First Baptist Church, if you work with children and teenagers, you have to go through our ministry safe training. And you have to take a test after you view it on the video. And it, it's, it's called Ministry Safe. And if you work with children, if you're going to work in Bible school, you have to go through it. Now, if you don't want to spend the time to go through it, let me, get, let me kind of get rude. We don't want you involved with our children. It's called Ministry Safe, and they train you. It's training two lawyers, a husband and a wife, that... that it's on video, it's online, and you take it at home, and we, we get the certification here, and we say, okay, you've been through it, and, and that's step one or two in the process of getting to work with our children. I did it. Everybody, the whole staff did it first. We did it first. But it talks about these sexual predators and how they not only groom their victims, but they groom the guardians of those victims. They groom mom and dad. They groom pastor and family minister and music minister. They groom teacher. They groom children's ministry leader. They groom the adults who surround that child so those, those adults will let down their guard and, and let them in. You follow me? Now, now there have been a, a few people through the years that, that have come around that, that I don't make a big deal out of it. I, I don't, I, it's a big deal, but I don't make a big noise about it. But I, I tell them, you're not welcome at First Baptist anymore because you make our women folk feel uncomfortable. And you've been warned, and we talked to you about it. We gave you the benefit of the doubt, but it's too late now. You need to go. But these people will groom those around them. And that's what Amnon is doing to David right here. He's grooming him. Oh, I'm sick. I'm so weak. I'm so weak. And David just let down his guard. Folks, I want to tell you, with some people in this world, you got to be flat, rude, and mean, and straightforward. Don't you wish David would have said... Absolutely not. You're not going to pull the wool over my eyes, son. As a matter of fact, I'm locking you up. You're lucky I'm not cutting your head off. Wouldn't it have been nice if he had said that? But you got to watch it. Now, if you want to go through that training, even if you don't want to work with children, we'll make it available to you. As a matter of fact, if you work anywhere where there's children involved, a school, or anywhere, medical office, anywhere, and you want to go through it, we pay the annual fee, and it's $5 per person. We won't even charge you the $5. But David, at best, it was a tragic lack 
of parenting. Well, look at verse 8. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, have out all men from me. Everybody leaves. And they went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, bring the cakes into the chamber. Come into the bedroom area that I may eat of your hand. You feed me. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. And when she had brought them unto him, he took hold of her, grabbed her, and said, Come lie with me, my sister. How perverted is that? And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me. For no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And, why, and I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. How be it? He would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Notice the obedience of Tamar to her father. What happened here was nothing at all on her part. It was not her fault at all. There is no blame at all on this young, beautiful young lady, Tamar. She is moral. She is submissive to her father. She is modest. She wore the long sleeves of the virgin daughters of the king which made the statement, I am off limits. She was modest. She was innocent. And David, without discernment, is the one who sent her in to the ogre's den. She got there and made the cakes. And then in verse 9, the Bible says... Amnon dismissed the servants. The the Hebrew there is written in plural, indicating not only multiple servants, but different groups of servants. So Amnon said to his attendants, get out. And then he said to her chaperones, get out. So there's another failure, right? There's another failure. And... um, They got out. And Amnon and Jonadab used her virtue and her integrity and her wholesomeness and her spirituality to be obedient to her parents. They used it against her. These kind of people are demonic folks. And they used it against her. And she did all she could, as we just read, to defend herself. She did everything she could. 
Let's look and see what she did. Verses 11 and 12. You know what she did? She said, no. That's strong language. She said, no. Look at verse 12. Nay. That means no. Stop. And then she said, you're my brother. And this is Israel. The pagans have no law against incest, but we do. We're the people of Israel. We're the people of the covenant. We're not like the pagan nations around us. And then she said, do not this folly. Now, I believe that Tamar was a godly girl, and she's making reference to the Word of God right here. She's making reference to the Scripture. If you would, don't go back now, but go back and read Genesis 34, and you see that one day there was this um, um, Canaanite prince by the name of Shechem in Genesis 34. And one of Jacob's daughters named was Dinah. And Shechem, the Canaanite prince, had eyes for Dinah, and he violated her. He assaulted her and raped her. And when Jacob's sons, two of Jacob's sons, her brothers, found out what happened to her, they, they said, we got to do something. Daddy didn't do anything. we got to do something. And so they approached the men of Shechem, the prince of Shechem, and and they said, yeah, we'll let you marry Dinah. But here's what happened. We'll, we'll let you marry all of our sisters. All your guys can come in and marry our sisters. This is Genesis 34. And then they said, but because, you know, we've got this covenant thing, you all got to be circumcised. And all of them were circumcised. They circumcised. They circumcised all the men of Shechem. And on the third day when they were sore... Now, let me, amen. When they were sore, they went and murdered them all. And in that story, the very first time the word folly is used, it's used to describe that event. And this young, innocent girl said, you're doing what the men of Shechem has done. You're committing folly. You're a a fool to do this. You're a fool to do this. We are not pagan people who commit such folly. Then she said, you will be counted as a fool in Israel, and I will be scorned and shamed in Israel. And then she said, we read it, Ask our Father, and He will give me to you. Ask our Father for my hand. Now, it is doubtful that David would have done that because of the incest. I think David had learned an awful lesson about obeying God's Word. It's doubtful, but she's doing everything she can. She's seeking to to calm him down so she can back out. And get to safety. She's doing everything she can. And then in verse 14, it indicates that she put up a fight. Ladies, girls, let me tell you. Learn to gouge their eyes out. Carry mace. 
Put up a fight. Amen. Amen. Go, go to some training. We, we, we need to have them back. Remind me and stab me. We need to have them back and have the sheriff's department come back and teach our ladies self-defense. I mean, gouge your eyes out, kick them, do anything you can, knock them in the head. I mean, if you have to, well, we're going to get the sheriff's department over here. I don't want to get sued, all right? Carry a little iron skillet in your purse. Walk with it from the, even walk with it from the store to your car. And we'll give you a medal if you knock one out. Amen. Is that good preaching? Well, she put up a fight, and the Bible is clear. He was stronger than she was. And she was defeated. Now, allow me to say this bit of wisdom without putting any blame on Tamar. Remember, David sent this virtuous girl, virtuous in every way. He's the one who sent her to that house. And what David knew and didn't know is immaterial. He lacked discernment. God, there's no prayer in here. There's no instruction. Guard my daughter. So I'm going to say this, but there's, and I'm not putting, when I say this, I'm not putting blame on Tamar at all. I'm just giving you a bit of wisdom. Young people, do not go into the house of someone of the opposite sex without their parents present. Sit on the front porch. As a matter of fact, don't even go to their property line until mom and dad, trustworthy mom and dad, are home. Amen. Mom and dad, that is worth a filet mignon. Amen. Now, don't, don't do it. Just don't go into the house. Don't, don't, don't. Well, your mom and dad aren't home. Well, come over. We'll watch TV. Your mom and dad home? No. Well, I'm not going. Well, why not? And if they ask you why not, you just say, I tell you what, I'll never hang around you again if you don't know the answer to that. I'll go talk to Dr. Mike to pick my friends. Amen. Don't do it. You say, well, you don't trust them? No, I don't. I don't. I don't trust anybody that has raging hormones in their blood. Amen? At that age. I don't. And so you, you just take that stand. And moms and dads, don't let them go into the bedroom even when you're home. Now, one of you are going to be a little smart out and say, well, we leave the door open. Let me tell you something. You're heading for trouble. Because they may have a mom and dad, that other kid may have a mom and dad or an aunt and uncle who doesn't want to care if the door is open or not. So don't let them go in the bedroom. As a matter of fact, sit there with them. Don't be going to bed while they're sitting up. And you say, well, they stay up too late. 
curfew. <laughs> Say it with me, curfew. Amen. Be a parent. Boy. Now, let me get my standing ovation. <laughs> Amen. Well, we got to read on. Verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. We see the extent of his love now, don't we? So that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. The law said, If a man sleeps with a virgin... He is to marry her. And if he doesn't marry her, as would be the case here, he would have to provide for her financially for the rest of his and or her life. He hated her when he was done, which will always happen. It'll always happen. He hated her. And he said, arise, be done. You know what the literal Hebrew translation is? Take a walk. That's what he said. Take a walk. And she was just devastated, of course. And this man, Amnon is a masterpiece of depravity. He bolted the door, threw her out, bolted the door, and she was devastated. And the word crying in these verses means a cry for help. This isn't crying in pain. This is a cry for help. It's the same word used for when the children of Israel were in the bondage in Egypt and they cried for help because of their enslavement and their cruelty to them, the Egyptians' cruelty to them. Nobody helped her. Her chaperones did not help her. Amnon's servants did not help her. Where was Jonadab now? This woman, this poor girl, unbelievable. Where was Jonadab? Verse 20. Well, look at verse 19. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of diverse colors. In other words, she ripped her clothes, the clothes that symbolized her virginity, that she was off limits until the king gave her to her husband. 
And she laid her on her head and went on crying, asking for help. Can you imagine that, that journey, that walk, or that run, whatever, however she carried herself to not to the palace where she lived with her father David. He's the one who sent her there. But to Absalom, her full brother's house. And Absalom, her brother said, have saw her. I mean, no conversation. No, Absalom, let me tell you what happened. Absalom said, Amnon has been with you. But hold now your peace, my sister. Don't say anything about this. He's your brother. Regard not this thing. How, and I know that's insensitive. We're, we're going to jump on Absalom in just a minute. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. She didn't return to the palace, as we said, she returned to Absalom's house. And Absalom did not do what was best for Tamar. He said, keep quiet. Let me handle this. And the word desolate in terms of Tamar means devastated. And she remained this way. She was this way for the rest of her life. Um, she's never mentioned again. She never shows up again. The only inkling we ever hear of her is Absalom will have a daughter one day and name her Tamar after his sister. Now, this may be some cultural things here. But I want, I want to tell you something. When Jesus came and liberated women, He liberated them from this culture. And thankful that while our nation is certainly not in love with the Word of God, we still have some semblance of the Word of God, the New Testament's influence in America and in our culture. Where a woman, a woman victimized like this does not have to be victimized for the rest of her life. That she can overcome this. And I say that very with, with great sensitivity. It is estimated by one study that one in four women in America will be sexually assaulted in some form. But thanks be unto God that Jesus can give you the victory. And the Absaloms of this world who say the best way to handle it is, is for you to just live with it and let me handle it are over because Jesus came. Jesus came, and He changed the culture. Amen. But notice David. David says nothing. He just gets mad. David does nothing. He just gets mad. 
very mad, very wroth is what King James says. Strong language, very angry. But why didn't he do something? Folks, I want to tell you something. Amnon needed a king to inflict justice. But David abdicated that. Now, I know it's his son. But sometimes you just got to draw the line. Amen. And say, it doesn't matter who he is. The law's been broken. I'm not protecting him anymore. He's going to meet the Levitical law. Amnon needed a king to inflict justice. Tamar needed a daddy who was absent. Abdication and absence. Why would David do such a thing? Here it is. This is one of the consequences of his sin. It's one of the consequences of a sin. He did not believe he had moral authority to do anything. He did not believe that he had the moral authority to go to Amnon and even confront him because Amnon could point the finger back and said, Dad, do you remember Bathsheba and Uriah? But I want to tell you, that is a perception that was not true. David had received the forgiveness of God. David was still that boy's daddy, and he was still that boy's king. Fathers, if you have messed up in the past, you get right with the Lord and assume your rightful spot regardless of the fingers that can be pointed back at you. And you be the daddy, and you be the father. And don't let your failures in the past that have been forgiven by the Lord and grace has been applied, you stand and correct those children. And David didn't do it. David didn't do it. Very sad. Picture the family gatherings. Picture this. You have David who looks at his sons. And then perhaps he glances over in the corner and there's young Solomon and maybe he has a glimmer of hope for his sons. He looks across the room where the daughters sit and there's an empty chair because Tamar takes her meals in her room at her brother's house now. Amnon comes in and has three or four loose women on his, on his arms. Absalom comes in stone-faced with his long hair and sits down and just glares and never says a word. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine such a thing? The only one happy is Mephibosheth. Remember him? He's the only one who's happy. Verse 23. And it came to pass after two years, two full years, that Absalom had sheep shearers in Belhazar, which was a celebration time, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now your servant has sheep shearers. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, No, I'm not coming. Um... We're not, we're not all going to show up. 
lest we have to pay you money. Maybe he knew something about Absalom. And he pressed him, howbeit the king would not go, but blessed him. I think Absalom knew the king wouldn't come. Then said Absalom to the king, now listen to this. If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said, why do you want him to go? Here is another lack of discernment, folks. But Absalom pressed him. Let me tell you, when one of your children is pressing you, you need to be careful. Amen. And Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark you now. When Amnon's heart is merry with wine, where did Absalom learn to get his victim drunk? When David got Uriah drunk? Ah, he said, when his heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then you kill him, and don't worry about it. Fear not. Have I commanded? I'm the one who's commanded you. Be courageous and valiant. Two words that should never be applied to such men. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's son arose, and every man gat him up upon his mule and fled. They all ran. And it came to pass while they were in the way that tidings came to David, saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and there is not one of them left. Remember, this would be devastating in many ways, but remember... Absalom's the number two son. And then the king arose. Now, now, now with this rumor, David feels like the only one left is Absalom. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent great grief, buckled over with grief. And look at verse 32. Why does this rascal show up again? Look what it says. And Jonadab. Here he comes. He always shows up, doesn't he? The son of Shemaiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my Lord suppose that they have killed all the young men. Only Amnon is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom hath this man determined, been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Oh, what a... This guy... This guy manipulated Amnon, and then it seems to indicate he manipulated Absalom. Now, therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. Well, Absalom deceives David. Murderous men are complicit with Absalom. Amnon is murdered. And the only one who comes out smelling like a rose is Jonadab. He got what he wanted. We don't know whatever happened to him, but I want to tell you folks, while there may not be a judgment on planet earth, there's a judgment before Almighty God. And we'll trust Jonadab to Almighty God. And look what happens next. Verse 37. Um... Jonadab, verse 35, said unto the king, Behold, thy king's sons come, as my servant said, so it is. <laughs> Jonadab looked at him and said, See, see, king, look, I'm right. They're coming. 
Don't you just, forgive me, but I'm just going to say it. Don't you hate people like that? Don't you wish they didn't exist? But folks, they're out there. They roam the halls. They're here. They're everywhere. King, I'm right. Look, look, look. I got your back, King David. And it came to pass as soon as he made an end of speaking, that behold, the king's sons came and lifted their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very sore. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Mehehud, king of Geshur. He fled to his grandpa's house in Syria. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. Three years. Once again, David abdicates the kingship by not going after the murderer. He abdicates fatherhood and the kingship. He went to Geshur for three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Absalom at his grandfather's house for three years. And David eventually is somewhat comforted. That word comfort doesn't mean that David got over it. The word means to rue, to be sorrowful, to have regret. And what it indicates to us is, is that David regretted how he had handled the situation. His failure to act as a parent and a king prompted Absalom to commit this murder. And the text seems to indicate that David said, I've already lost the firstborn son. I don't want to lose Absalom. And he longed for Absalom. And the Lord willing, next week we're going to see when Absalom comes back. And we're going to kind of learn some lessons about that, but... He didn't want to lose Absalom. He longed. It means to finish. He wanted to restore Absalom. So, let me give you some lessons and then we'll go. And I preach too long, I know, but I appreciate your patience. First of all, one lesson is, is our children do not inherit our righteousness. If not corrected, they will very well highlight our iniquities. Where did Abnon and Absalom learn to be deceptive? From whom did Absalom learn that murder was an option? You see, we influence them in every way. Also, I would say guard against the predators. If you haven't taken our ministry safe and you want to work with children or you already are and you just slip through the cracks, we hope there's no cracks, but sometimes there are, you need to take ministry safe. Predators first groom the protectors, then they groom their victims. Guard against them. Parents, grandparents, do not let the sins and failures and mistakes in your past Even when your sins are forgiven, recognize that God will forgive you. Do not let them cloud your discernment, regardless of how you 
have acted and behaved. You have moral authority over your children. And if you do not assume it, there's a whole bunch of Jonadabs out there that will. Let me tell you who the Jonadabs are. One of them is the Jonadab of social media. The Jonadab of homes where your friends, where your children's friends come from, who do not value the ethics and morality of the, the Word of God. They're going to get it somewhere from Jonadab or you. And if you have sinned in the past, get the forgiveness of God, get the guilt away. You're going to have to struggle through consequences. You may very well. But because you are the parent by the providence of God, you have moral authority. And if they point that finger and say, well, dad or mom, I remember you. You take that finger and you turn it around and you hurt them. And you say, I'm your, I didn't say break it. I don't want you to call that 1-800 number on me. But you take your position as moral authority. Real quick, I know I preached too long. One time my daughter was going, a bunch of them were going together somewhere. And uh, my daughter said, Dad, will you sit on the front porch with your shotgun and when they drive up? And I said, sure I will, absolutely. And I said, i got to clean it anyway, you know. And so I sat on the front porch in the rocking chair and I was cleaning my shotgun. And they drove up in a car and there was about six of them, you know, four or five, six of them in the car. And the little boy was driving and... and uh, they rolled down the windows, they drove up, and I heard one of them say, he's got a shotgun. And they just sped up and took off. And I just stood up, I just stood up and I said, idiots, I live in a cul-de-sac. <laughs> idiots. Amen. They're idiots. And I just shook my head and they drove back by and they realized they had to stop. And I said, which, which one of you are here for Natalie? And the little boy raised his hand, real nice boy. He's a wonderful boy. Raised his hand and said, I am, sir. And I said, I know you. He said, yes, sir. And I said, you sit down in this other rocking chair, and the rest of you go inside. And they went inside, and I had a long talk with that boy. And, uh, I, was, and I, was, I told him about my shotgun. I said, oh, by the way, I took the plug out. Now, if you ever hunt dove, you know what the plug is. I mean, you put three shells in it. You take the plug out, and you can put six. <laughs> but anyway, I told him all that. And he went inside. And Natalie said, did my daddy talk to you? And he said, oh, yes. And then one of them little girls said, my daddy just doesn't care. He's never talked to a boy about me. And I said, well, sweetheart, do you want me to talk to your date? And she said, I sure would. And I said, which one is it? And they all were swallowing hard, you know, and. And she said, that one? I said, come out here. And I said, you know what? I said, that little old girl been a friend of our family for a long time, son. And I want to tell you something. She's got a future, and she's got a future husband. And you don't need to do anything to mess that up for her at all and to even possi possibly mess it up. And you don't want to mess up your future either. And then I said a few other things that you're going to have to pay to get. Anyway, I told them all of that. And they went on their way. But I thought about that through the year. I thought about when I, when I read this text. That, that absence 
because he thought he had lost all credibility. Get it back first by assuming your moral position of authority. And David didn't do that. Now the big question is, where is Jesus in all of this? Preacher, you've always told us Jesus is on every page of the Bible. Well, he's here. David abdicated his kingship. He was an absent father for Tamar. Jesus will never abdicate his lordship, nor be an absent father. You give your life to Jesus, you'll always have the law of God written in your heart and that sense of justice that our royal, sovereign king will give you. And you'll always have the presence of a heavenly father to protect you and guide you in wisdom and understanding. I pray you would know Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's stand for our song of appeal. Is there a decision you need to make today? You know what? Maybe uh, we just need to take pause and pray for our young people and pray for our families of our young people. That dads and moms would be king and queens and daddies and mamas. And so maybe during this invitation, you can pray that. And maybe you have a decision to make for Christ. Maybe one of these young people, maybe somebody, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. And you need to be saved. You need Jesus as your Savior. It's time for you to be saved. It's time to come to Christ right now. Today. And you walk out and you come right to Cole or you come right to me and you say, today's the day I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to surrender to Him as my King. And I want Him to be my Heavenly Father. And He will forever be.